Unfortunately, I think that, you know, this is going to get worse uh, before it gets better, as it looks like the Russians are going to um, turn to some potentially very brutal tactics. Fantastic. The week gets better and better. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. It says me. From bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today oh, boy uh this is not getting any more fun i gotta say that in in our coverage of what's going on in ukraine uh but i will say this uh after we uh deal with just a couple of the the points here uh, things will get a little brighter on the broadcast. Well, I hope I think. so. There's some uh, some good accountability news. Quite a quite a, a few stories, actually. Good accountability stories right. ahead for us today. Once we slog through life during wartime, which continues today, as the Russian invasion of Ukraine entered its third week on Thursday. Russian forces are continuing to bombard major cities as desperate civilians try to escape through agreed-upon safe corridors, even as those supposedly safe humanitarian corridors have been anything but in too many cases. Thousands of people have now been killed as we begin week three of what could be a very long war. More than two million have fled the country since Russian troops uh, crossed into Ukraine on February 24, and besieged cities have been suffering from shortages of food, medicine, heat, electricity. Thousands of trapped civilians have been trying to leave uh, and continue to do so on Thursday, according to news reports, during temporary ceasefires that the two sides agreed to, even as most of the past attempts have failed because of continued shelling even during those supposed ceasefires, the top diplomats from Russia and Ukraine met 
for the country's highest level talks since the start of the invasion, but they were not able to find common ground, at least not yet. The fact that they continue to meet, however, I'm going to take as an encouraging sign amid an otherwise uh, bleak outlook uh, these days. And world leaders on Thursday continue to condemn the Russian airstrike on a maternity hospital in the port city of Mariupol. Uh, AP reports that the Russian defense ministry denied responsibility on Thursday for striking that hospital, claiming that the explosions that hit the building were staged to smear Russia in what he described as a, quote, staged provocation to incite anti-Russian agitation in the West. So he's really suggesting that Ukrainians are bombing themselves. That is what he is claiming. Constant shelling has uh, thwarted attempts to evacuate civilians from the besieged Ukrainian city, Mariupol. Uh, This according to a Ukrainian official on Thursday. Their deputy prime minister said 1,300 civilians have been killed there in the strategic port on the Azov Sea during the nine days of siege when the city has been cut off and uh, has been without power, food, water, medicine, etc., The deputy prime minister said in televised remarks that the Russian forces start shelling the city each time a humanitarian convoy makes an attempt to depart the city to evacuate its residents. They want to destroy the people of Mariupol. They want to make them starve. She said it is a war crime. Meanwhile, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson joined other Western officials on Thursday, including the U.S., in warning that Russia could use chemical weapons in Ukraine. He accused the Kremlin of a, quote, cynical, barbaric attempt to justify such a move. Johnson said the Kremlin is preparing, quote, a fake story that chemical weapons are being stored by their opponents Uh, or by the Americans as a pretext for then deploying chemical weapons themselves. Johnson told Sky News on Thursday, the stuff which you are hearing about chemical weapons is straight out of their playbook, he said. In the U.S. on Wednesday, U.S. Army Secretary Christine Wormuth told CNBC that Russia's invasion of Ukraine will likely continue to escalate. Unfortunately, she said, I think this is going to get worse before it gets better, as it looks like the Russians are going to turn to some potentially brutal tactics. More brutal, I guess, than they have already turned to. Uh, She said, if you look at what the Russians did, for example, in Syria, in terms of being willing to bomb civilians, to bomb hospitals... She uh, was referring to Russia's uh, military intervention in the Syrian civil war that started back in 2015 or the way they approached the siege of Grozny, she said, in 1999 and 2000 when they were fighting in Chechnya and they just flattened, flattened the city. She said, I am concerned that 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 that's the kind of tactics we could see the Russian military turn to. Wormuth's comments came as Congress was voting on a $1.5 trillion spending bill uh, on Friday that includes nearly $14 billion in aid to Ukraine, including for military equipment for the country, deployments of U.S. troops to nearby nations. Joe Biden has insisted that U.S. troops, essentially, no matter what, will not fight in Ukraine. 
Uh, and it also includes assistance for displaced Ukrainians. The spending bill that will fund the rest of this uh, fiscal year here in the U.S. through September and avoid another government shutdown includes $782 billion in defense spending and $730 billion for everything else, everything non-defense, uh, all of the non-defense programs, just in case you have any questions of U.S. priorities these days. So, uh, with not much encouraging news to report out of Putin's barbaric, monstrous, pointless war, uh, I'm going to turn back once again to our own, for now, thankfully, much less violent fight for democracy in this country, as there are a number of stories that I need to get caught up on here, uh, that I need to catch you up on. Feel like I'm, I feel like I'm playing catch-up every day now, frankly, uh, these days. And, uh, oh, and Desi Doyen. <laughs> Hi, Des. Hi. Uh, you will have more, by the way, on Russian-Ukraine fallout in our Green News report a little bit later. Yes. If we get to it. We'll get to it. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, uh, picking up on a uh, on a new story related to one that we covered in some detail yesterday on the broadcast with my guest, uh, constitutional law expert Ron Fine of Free Speech for People. So, you know, you know how these these law and order Republicans, you know how they are. First, they stage an insurrection to overthrow American democracy, and then they start speeding around without a legal driver's license. You know. Breaking the law? Law and order. <laughs> no sooner did we get off the air yesterday discussing the constitutional challenge to North Carolina Congressman Madison Cawthorn's eligibility to run for re-election for Congress this year. After he participated in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol in violation, uh, the challenge is that he violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. We talked about that yesterday with uh, with Ron Fine, despite a setback in this entire challenge, hopefully a momentary one that was in court thanks to a Donald Trump appointed federal judge. If you missed yesterday's broadcast with Ron Fine, you can download the show, of course, for free at bradblog.com. Uh, they have filed an emergency appeal in that case. Uh, nonetheless, no sooner did we end that show than this story broke. North Carolina Congressman Madison Cawthorn, Republican, has been charged with driving with a revoked driver's license after being pulled over last week by Highway Patrol. As the Asheville Citizen Times reported, Highway Patrol spokesman Sergeant Marcus Bethia confirmed on Wednesday that Cawthorn is in fact facing three citations for incidents occurring across three different counties in North Carolina. He breaks the law everywhere. Along with being pulled over on a revoked license, Cawthorn has two pending citations for speeding in Buncombe and Polk counties. According to the citation, Cawthorn was pulled over last Thursday near Shelby, North Carolina, where a trooper saw his 2019 Toyota truck cross over the center line of the road. Oh, my. At the time, the weather was clear and traffic was light, according to the citation, so he was just being a lousy driver, apparently. 
The uh, the driver was, he says, was identified as David Madison Cawthorn, 26 years old of Henderson, North Carolina. Bathia said during the course of the investigation, it was determined that the driver's license was in a state of revocation and he was subsequently charged with driving while license revoked. As the Citizen Times also reports, Cawthorn was previously charged with driving after having his license taken away before he was elected to the U.S. House. So this is the second time he has driven without a legitimate license. The maximum sentence for driving without a license is 20 days in jail, though a fine or probation is usually issued instead. So which one do you think Congressman Madison Cawthorn will get? Of course, as this is his second time that he's been charged with driving without a license uh, and he has several other speeding incidents under his belt, maybe he'll actually face a real penalty this time. Maybe even some jail time. You're looking at me like you do not believe that's the case. (laughs) I do not believe that will be the case. In fact, I bet he'll get exactly what he got before, which is no punishment whatsoever. Well, we will see. I mean, you're right. He is pretty white and handsome and Republican. And, uh, you know, the rule of law may not therefore apply to him. In related-ish news, uh, I'll take this as rather encouraging, actually. Attorney General Merrick Garland said on Thursday that when it comes to politically sensitive investigations, the Justice Department, quote, does not shy away from cases that are controversial or sensitive or political. He said to do so would undermine an element of the rule of law. I will say generally about this, this thought about what's political and what's not political. Um, um, we do not shy away from cases that are controversial or sensitive or political. And to do that would undermine an element of the rule of law, which is that we treat like cases alike without regard uh, to the subject matter. What we will avoid uh, and what we must avoid is any partisan element of our decision making about cases. Um, that is um, what I'm uh, intent on ensuring that the department's uh, decisions are made on the merits and that they're made on the facts and the law, uh, and they're not based on any kind of partisan considerations. That was a little hard to hear. I hope that was uh, was clear. I'll, I'll share what he said, though. Uh, to do that would undermine an element of the rule of law, which is uh, that we treat ca- like cases alike without regard to the subject matter. These were comments to reporters in response to a question about the January 6th investigation. He spoke uh, briefly on Thursday morning at the Justice Department, marking his first full year in office. He declined to answer more specific questions about the January 6th investigation or any discussions that the DOJ may be having with the House Select Committee, which is investigating the U.S. Capitol riot. Uh, he said what we will avoid and what we must uh, what we must avoid is any partisan element of our decision making about the cases. That is what I'm intent on ensuring that the department's decisions are made on the merits and they are made on the facts of law and they are not based on any kind of partisan considerations. Good. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. As uh, Tierney Sneed notes at CNN, there are no public indications, however, that the Justice Department's January 6th investigation, where hundreds of rioters who breached the Capitol have been charged, no indications that that has turned toward the former president. 
Even if I think our friend uh, investigative journalist Marcy Wheeler of Empty Wheel may suggest otherwise, in fact, has suggested otherwise on this show, based on her very close reading of thousands of pages of court filings uh, from the DOJ. So we'll see. Garland went on to say, I'm not going to talk about individuals who may or may not be subjects of investigations, adding we don't know about how we would do investigations uh, or I'm sorry, we don't talk about how we would do investigations or how we are doing investigations. Garland, of course, has faced criticism for not publicly going after the former president and other figures, prominent figures who pushed the lies about the 2020 election that fueled that deadly capital attack on January 6th. Thursday's comments by Garland were only the latest example, however, of the attorney general defending the work of the DOJ to date in a speech you'll recall earlier this year, marking the one year anniversary of the uh, January 6th attack. Garland said that the department, quote, remains committed to holding all January 6th perpetrators at any level accountable under the law. So he continues to say all of the right things, and we all continue to wonder whether he will actually do the right things. Uh, we will see. But again, given what we have to work with, I will take the encouraging news where I can find it, um, warranted or otherwise. But as to those prominent figures who pushed lies about the 2020 election, uh, helping to fuel the Capitol attack, well, we've got several different items of note related to that. Uh, and on some of those figures today. Let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with as many of them as we can possibly fit in to today's program. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's uh, it's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Thank you for sticking with us here. So, uh, speaking of attractive white Republican people. <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> who the law usually doesn't seem to apply to in this country. Uh, remember, remember this lady. Let go of me. Let go of me. Let go of me. Let go of me. Let go of her. It hurts. Let go of me. Let go of her. Give her her car keys back. 
All right, you get the idea. That was remember that lady. That oh, was yes. that was Mesa County, Colorado County Clerk Tina Peters just a few weeks ago. I think it was it a few weeks ago. Yes, I think it was. I've uh, lost track of all time here. <laughs> it was February. In February, Early okay, February. it was last month. All right. Yeah. Anyway, she was. That was when she was being briefly arrested for refusing to allow law enforcement officials to review an iPad of hers uh, that was evidence, apparently, that she had used uh, the iPad to videotape a court proceeding against one of her deputies in violation of the judge's order. So they had to uh, very gently and very nicely and very kindly uh, handcuff her and uh, walk her out of this, uh, I don't know, it's a hotel lobby or something. Anyway, Peters, uh, you may recall, is the Trump County clerk, the Trumpy County clerk, I Very should say, in, in Mesa County, Colorado, who had snuck into the county's secure voting equipment uh, room in the middle of the night with an accomplice who was not properly authorized to be there. She turned off the security cameras and then she made copies of hard drives from the county's Dominion voting systems uh, computers. And then somehow, just as she was speaking a few months later at Crazy Mike, uh, my pillow guy, Mike Lindell's cyber security conference or whatever he called it in South Dakota, where he was going to reveal all the evidence of how the election was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020, but apparently never got around to doing that at this. I think it was like a three day symposium. <laughs> yes. So uh, during that uh, symposium where Tina Peter, Tina Peters was speaking, the software from her machines, the same, yes, the same software that was duplicated, we had since come to learn, the critical proprietary election management system, which is the keys to the kingdom, as we have explained, if you want to hack an election. Somehow that software, at the very moment that Tina Peters was speaking, was released to the Internet for anybody to download. All of it just just days before last year's failed GOP recall of California's Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom. And that caused quite a stir here in California, at least for those of us who understand the importance of that software getting out into the wild, because those very same systems are used in several key counties here in California and would be, uh, you know, counties that would be using that software during that critical recall election. Well, after uh, after the uh, incident, after it, the, the release of the software and the release of passwords to her system on the Internet, Peters was removed from her job of Mesa's chief election official by the state's Democratic Secretary of State. And uh, local, state and federal prosecutors had opened up a full investigation into all of this. Despite all of that, even though she was under investigation, even though we had all of this evidence of all of these things that she did, despite all of that, she declared nonetheless she was going to run for re-election as Mesa County Clerk in Colorado. But then she thought better of it. A week or two later, she decided to not run as Mesa County Clerk. Instead, she would run for Colorado's Secretary of State instead. Well... More news today about the delightful Tina Peters. 
This from the New York Times. Uh, Tina Peters, a county clerk running as a Republican for Secretary of State of Colorado, was indicted on Tuesday evening on 10 criminal counts related to allegations that she tampered with election equipment after the 2020 election. And, of course, that's what you want in a secretary of state. Am I right, MAGA Republicans? Actually, don't answer MAGA Republicans because your answer might be yes. That's exactly what we want. <laughs> you want a secretary of state who is willing to tamper with elections. The indictment, which the district attorney of Mesa County, Colorado, announced on Wednesday... It's connected to Peter's work as the top county election administrator, a role in which she promoted former Donald Trump's false claims that the election had been stolen. A grand jury indicted Peters on both felony and misdemeanor charges, including counts of attempting to influence a public servant, criminal impersonation, conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation, identity theft, first-degree official misconduct, violation of duty, and failing to comply with the Secretary of State. But good luck on that run. I actually, I think she's just shot to the top of the uh, <laughs> top yeah. of the list in the, I was in the primary. Say, very Republican of her to run for office while under indictment. It hasn't hurt them in the past, has it? No. In a statement, Peters accused Democrats of using the grand jury quote to formally politic to formalize politically motivated accusations against her. Using legal muscle, she said, to indict political opponents during an election isn't new strategy, but it's easier to execute when you have a district attorney who despises President Trump and any constitutional conservative like myself. Now, of course, they're not using legal muscle to hurt an election, uh, hurt a political opponent during an election. Yeah, grand juries don't work that way. And the investigation began months and months ago after she had been, you know, removed from her 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 job and was caught, you know, breaking into the to the room. With yeah. All of that. So it's not, you know, it's not like, uh, oh, no, she's going to run for office. We better charge her. This had all been, you know, we've been waiting for these charges, frankly, to come down. The grand jury also indicted Belinda Knisley, and I don't know if that's how you say her name, but that's how I'm going to say it. Belinda Knisley, Peters's deputy, uh, on six counts. Remember, she was the one that Tina Peters was videotaping in a courtroom, caught by the prosecutors videotaping in in uh, in this uh, courtroom, even though the judge had said don't do that at the time. Knisley was facing charges because she had gone back to the Mace County uh, elections office after she had been uh, ordered to stay away by the secretary of state. And now she's charged in a whole bunch more charges. Last night, according to Colorado Public Radio, Tina Peters turned herself in to the Mesa County Detention Facility. And she has been booked after being indicted on criminal counts of conspiracy related to election tampering and misconduct. Knisley is also said to be in custody. According to the indictment, beginning in April of last year, Peters and Knisley, quote, devised and executed a deceptive scheme 
which was designed to influence public servants, breach security protocols, exceed permissible access to voting equipment, and set in motion the eventual distribution of confidential information to unauthorized people. On May 13, according to the indictment, Knisley requested an access badge and an official email address for a, quote, temp employee who would represent the county on site during a routine software update process. But that person was not an employee and actually had no right to be on site under state regulations, according to the indictment. Relying on the misrepresentation of Ms. Knisley, who later said she had been acting on Peter's instructions, Mace County granted the person an access badge for the election building. But according to the indictment, county records show that someone used that badge to enter secure areas of the election offices on May 23, two days before the scheduled software update. So that's uh, apparently how they went about it, getting this guy. And, and we don't yet know. I don't know if we know for certain that temp employee, that unnamed person here. I don't know if he has yet been charged, but this is apparently uh, the one who went in in the middle of the night with Peters and Knisley to this uh, secure room and copied uh, copied all of the software. Now we know how he uh, was able to get in with this badge. According to the indictment, county records show uh, someone had used this uh, even before they were supposed to use it for some reason during this routine updating of software, which I guess Peters thought this is how they're going to erase all of the evidence. And that's why they wanted to go in early before the change, uh, the update to the software was made and pull off the, uh, the the evidence that showed that the election was stolen, I guess, in Tina Peters' own county. In her own mind, that probably made sense. In her own twisted thinking, she's got to break the law to keep them from breaking the law, I think. Uh, a few days earlier, according to the indictment, the security cameras in the election office had been turned off. Prosecutors had previously said that Peters entered the secure area of the warehouse where the machines were stored and copied hard drives and election management software from the machines in early August. Then the uh, right-wing conspiracy theory website Gateway Pundit posted passwords for the county's election machines. <laughs> and shortly afterwards, the Mesa County Machines software showed up on large monitors at the South Dakota Election Symposium organized by uh, the my pillow guy, Mike Lindell, and attended by Tina Peters. As we reported that day, when that happened, from the legendary cybersecurity and voting system expert, Hari Hursty, a friend of ours who was at that symposium, the uh, critical election management system software was not just shown up on big screens. It was actually released for download on the Internet, which caused, as I said, quite a stir here in California in the days between that event and the uh, September, I believe it was the September recall uh, election. Officials who uh, Secretary of State Jen Jenna Griswold said in a statement on Wednesday, when the indictment was announced, she said officials who carry out elections do so in public trust and must be held accountable when they abuse their power or their positions. The grand jury 
the you know the one that uh, Tina Peters said that they tricked into somehow turning against her. Uh, the grand jury was, according to prosecutors, randomly selected from the very same pool of citizens that elected clerk Tina Peters and were chosen months before any of these uh, alleged offenses occurred. Uh, and they con- they concluded that there is probable cause that Clerk Peters and Deputy Clerk Knisley committed these crimes. That was from the prosecutors in a statement in which they added that their offices would provide no further comment, quote, to maintain the investigation's impartiality. So what do you know? Some accountability, even for a uh, white, sort of attractive Republican. Yeah, we'll find out if the law actually does end up applying to a white Republican lady. So far, so far (laughs) it does. But that's not all. That's not all. There are other white Republican ladies and men facing some serious, very serious accountability today. And it's also related to the Republicans' evidence-free claims that Dominion voting systems somehow stole the 2020 election from Donald Trump. And they did this in cahoots, apparently, thanks to the claims that that well thanks to me i guess the misrepresentation of a whole bunch of my exclusive reporting at bradblog.com from way back uh, 2008 2010 that these clowns continue to cite continue to misrepresent as if it supports their theory Anyway, uh, it claims that Dominion Voting Systems, along with another voting company named Smartmatic, which does business in only one jurisdiction in the U.S., as it turns out, here in Los Angeles for the first time during the 2020 election. And yet Dominion and Smartmatic and apparently Hugo Chavez of Venezuela, who died about 10 years ago, and China and Cuba and Italy and others were all in on this scheme that, by the way, the people making these claims are still standing by. Anyway, they were all in on this scheme, at least according to Trump and his wingnuts like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and all of the dupes at Fox News. Well, most of the dupes at Fox News, both Dominion and Smartmatic, as you may have heard, have now sued Giuliani and Powell and, yes, all the dupes at Fox News for defamation. Now, last December, you may recall, we had some good news in these cases from a judge in Delaware who allowed Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit against the MAGA mobsters to move forward, rejecting the motion to dismiss that was filed by Powell and Giuliani and Fox News, etc. Now, the motion to dismiss is a, a motion to dismiss is filed in almost every case I think both criminal and civil. It's the first step that you have to overcome. They, you know, the lawyers say, well, this is why this case should not even be heard. It's not, it doesn't even warrant a trial or anything else because of X, Y, Z. It needs to be thrown out. And in fact, a lot of cases are thrown out at that stage where the judge says, yeah, no, I don't think there's anything here. Uh, we're throwing it out. Last December, however, In Delaware, the judge allowed Dominion's uh, case to go forward against all of those people. Uh, And that was a big hurdle to overcome in this one point six billion dollar defamation suit, particularly against media outlets. It's very difficult in this country to uh, to sue 
media outlets, thanks to our First Amendment. It should be difficult. But the judge allowed that to go forward against Fox and the others at the end of last year uh, in the case of Dominion voting. Uh, So that case moves forward. And this week now, and I know it's very confusing because there's a lot of these cases this week, Smartmatic's defamation lawsuit against most of those same people uh, is also going to now be going forward. That suit, by the way, is a $2.7 billion lawsuit. This week, New York Supreme Court Judge David Cohn shot down Fox News and several of their anchors' efforts to quash the, uh, the lawsuit by Smartmatic, the defamation lawsuit against them. Judge Cohn said that Fox, Fox business anchor Maria Bartiromo and fellow now former Fox business anchor Lou Dobbs's motion to dismiss, which accuses all three of uh, the the suit, uh, which accuses all three of defaming the uh, tech firm by peddling bogus conspiracy theories, claiming Smartmatic had rigged the 2020 election. Cohn denied all of their motions to dismiss. Well, not all of them. The judge rejected Fox's argument that the uh, Fo- that Fox News uh, itself never specifically pushed those conspiracy theories. Rather, they just aired claims that were made by others like Giuliani and Powell. They just put it wasn't their fault. They didn't say it. They just put Giuliani and Powell on the air repeatedly to say it. But the judge uh, didn't buy it. Not buying it. Uh, He wrote in his order that Fox still provided a bullhorn for Trump's goons to spread their lies. Uh, Quote, even assuming that Fox News did not intentionally allow this false narrative to be broadcast, there is a substantial basis for plaintiffs claim that at a minimum, Fox News turned a blind eye to a litany of outrageous claims about plaintiffs unprecedented in the history of American elections. So inherently improbable that it evinced a reckless disregard for the truth, said Judge Cohn in his 61-page order, denying Fox's motion for dismissal. Now, I've got, well, I'll see if I can get to this here because there's some other evidence from his ruling uh, that shows, yeah, Fox uh, should have known better. Cohn also, I'll get to that in a second. Cohn also uh, rejected Bartiromo and Dobbs's separate motions for dismissal, saying that Smartmatic had, quote, adequately pleaded a substantial basis for its claims that the Fox hosts had, quote, acted with reckless disregard for the truth. Oh, so sorry, Maria and Lou. Smartmatic's lawsuit also targeted uh, Fox News host Janine Pirro? Yes. Pyro? Pirro. Okay. Also, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, who repeatedly aired their bogus claims uh, while appearing on the network. However, Cohen allowed Pirro Pirro. and Powell to remove themselves from this lawsuit in uh, in his order. Pirro apparently never accused Smartmatic specifically of stealing votes in the election. And Sidney Powell, as a Texas resident, is outside of the New York Supreme Court's jurisdiction, according to the judge. So she gets off the hook for this case, apparently, the Smartmatic case. But don't worry, she's still in a whole lot of trouble in the Dominion lawsuit and is likely to lose her law license in Texas as she's under review by the State Bar Association there. 
Uh, Cohn dismissed some of Smartmatic's claims against Giuliani. However, the judge gave the software company permission to try again on those. Uh, the uh, CEO of Smartmatic, Antonio Mujica, applauded the judge's decision, saying Fox's reckless disregard for truth has caused debilitating harm to our ability to conduct our business globally as well as in the United States. We look forward to our day in court. Meanwhile, Fox pledged themselves to fight the order. They said they were happy that Janine Pirro was uh, released, but that they still plan to appeal this ruling adding that the lawsuit was, quote, a full-blown assault on the First Amendment, which stands in stark contrast to the highest traditions of American journalism. So, <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm sure that they, they know what the highest traditions of American journalism are. Are you chuckling because I said both Fox News and highest tradition of American journalism in the same sentence? Yes. I see. I don't blame you. So now uh, Fox is now uh, facing... Both of these lawsuits, they were not allowed to be released from either of them for $1.6 billion from Dominion, $2.7 billion from Smartmatic. This could leave a mark, but they are difficult to prove, as one must prove malice when they are uh, when, when suing media outlets. Recall, for example, that's why Sarah Palin recently lost her uh, defamation suit against the New York Times. She could not prove that, well, they knew better, but they published a, a false claim anyway. That's what the legal definition of malice is. It's not that, oh, you don't like them. It's that you actually knew it was false and published it anyway. As Aaron Blake at Washington Post, however, observes, Fox News themselves may have given the voting machine company the evidence that they need in order to prove malice, specifically their star anchor, Tucker Carlson. And this is really fascinating. He says, Aaron Blake writes, it's a pretty remarkable state of affairs when a judge is approvingly citing Tucker Carlson's journalistic rigor. But that's precisely the situation we find ourselves in now. And rather ironically, that could be bad for Fox News. New York Supreme Court uh, Judge David Cohn has now ruled the voting machine company Smartmatic's uh, $2.7 billion suit against Fox News and Giuliani can proceed, and in allowing it to, the judge previewed a tough road ahead for them in this monumental defamation case. The ruling repeatedly says that Fox hosts Giuliani and Powell made claims, quote, without any evidence and, quote, without any basis. It also says that claims made by Giuliani and Bartiromo and now former Fox host Lou Dobbs could meet the legal standard of claims being, quote, so inherently improbable that only a reckless person would have put them in circulation, even assuming that Fox News did not intentionally allow this false narrative to be broadcast, there is substantial basis for uh, for the plaintiff's claims. But as uh, Blake notes, the ruling's most biting and potentially legally important section actually involves Tucker Carlson. In the course of laying out the legal requirements for Smartmatic to prove its case, the judge noted that the company must prove that Fox met the standard of, act of acting with actual malice. For example, not merely promoting false claims, but doing so with malice, doing so when they knew better. And on that count, the judge says that the best evidence that they did so 
is Tucker Carlson, because Carlson, unlike the others, actually applied significant skepticism to the claims and he broadcast it. And I recall this. Uh, Blake says many people may have forgotten this uh, in the long and sordid run up to January 6. But there was a time in which none other than Tucker Carlson stepped forward to question the stolen election narrative that had taken hold. Carlson said on November 19 that Powell's claims were serious, but that he also rightfully noted she had yet to substantiate them. He said he asked over the course of the week over and over again for the evidence and offered his platform, but she declined. I think we played the audio way back then. He said he would have given her the whole hour, but she never gave him evidence. And she never came on his show to explain what it was. Carlson said Powell never demonstrated that a single actual vote was moved illegitimately by software from one candidate to another. Not one, said Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Showing that it can be done on Fox News. He said uh, when he invited her on his show, she became, quote, angry and told us to stop contacting her. But of course, they wanted actual evidence. That episode, Blake notes, alienated some Trump allies, but it also, in Judge Cohn's estimation, speaks to the possibility that Fox might meet the actual malice standard. Why? Well, here's what the judge writes. Ironically, the statements of Tucker Carlson, perhaps the most popular Fox News host, uh, militate most strongly in favor of a possible finding that there is a substantial basis that Fox News acted with actual malice. As noted above, on November 19, Dobbs posted a video of he and Powell on Twitter with a caption stating that Powell, quote, has no doubt that Dominion voting machines run Smartmatic software, which allows it to manipulate the votes. By the way, the idea that Dominion voting machines runs Smartmatic software is taken directly from my story. Spoiler alert, they got it wrong. They got it wrong. Uh, Anyway, uh, the same day, Carlson wrote an article stating that for over a week, he had been uh, claiming that the election, uh, Powell had been claiming the election had been stolen and that if Powell was correct, it would be the greatest crime in American history. And thus, he asked her to substantiate her comments. However, Powell never provided the evidence requested by Carlson and President Trump's campaign advised Carlson that it knew of no such evidence. So even Trump's own campaign said they knew of no evidence, told Tucker Carlson at Fox News about it. Therefore, writes the judge, there are sufficient allegations that Fox News knew or should have known that Powell's claim was false and purposely ignored the efforts of its most prominent anchor to obtain substantiation of claims of wrongdoing by Smartmatic. So they knew They knew there was no evidence, and yet they kept running with it anyway. Uh, When the judge says this is ironic, notes Blake, uh, it seems he's referring to the fact that Carlson is the network's most popular host, but it's also ironic in that Carlson has hardly been a beacon of journalistic tenacity. (laughs) Either way, the fact uh, he seemed to see through the frivolity of Powell's baseless voting machine conspiracy theories, Tucker did, and broadcast that posture, even as others promoted the claims far less skeptically, is now more than just Fox versus Fox and Trump allies story. It now appears to be a potential legal liability 
for Fox News. And you know they're still standing by their story and their false bonkers claims because they make so much money but from they don't Trump's talk. Base. They don't. As soon as they started getting sued, they stopped talking about it. They were very, very careful at that point when it turned out that uh, that these folks were serious. And you know, again, I guess I should note after uh, what the last fifteen, twenty years, sort of making my names, beating the hell out of these voting machine companies that make terrible voting system software. Uh, that can be easily hacked and everything else. You know, they have never sued me because I actually bother to get my information correct when I report it about these companies. So, I, you know, it's it's really weird for me to sort sort of be on their side here. No, you're on the side of facts. Thank you. And truth and justice. And the American way. Yes. <laughs> Do I have time for one more before the Green News Report? A short one. More than 27,000 mail ballots in Texas were flagged for rejection in the first test of new voting restrictions enacted across the U.S., jeopardizing votes cast by Democrats and Republicans alike and in counties big and small. That, according to an analysis by AP, following Texas's first in the nation uh, primary on March 1st, it puts the rate of rejected mail ballots in Texas on track to significantly surpass previous elections. Uh, the preliminary figures here is the fullest picture to date of how new election rules pushed into place by Republicans last year following the 2020 election when they were all pretending that there was some great big fraud. So they made it harder to vote. There wasn't. Turns out there wasn't, but it has made it harder for thousands of voters in both parties. Rejected mail ballots are uh, relatively uncommon in a typical election, AP notes, but the initial rejection rate among mail voters in the Texas primary was roughly 17 percent across the 120 counties that they looked at, according to uh, figures obtained by AP. Those counties counted for the vast majority of the nearly three million voters in Texas's first in the nation primary. Although the final number of discounted ballots uh, will be lower because there's still time or there was still time to uh, go in and cure some of those ballots, I think, before Monday of this past week. Nonetheless, the numbers are much higher than uh, the 2020 general election when federal data showed that less than 1% of, ma of mail ballots statewide were rejected. Just 1% rejected in 2020, but now, under this new law, 17% rejected, amounting to 27,000 ballots. And that is in a small turnout primary for a midterm. Do you give a damn, Texas? I don't know that they do. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the broadcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But, of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. 
The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. And just when I got everybody to uh, stop thinking about Russia-Ukraine for a few minutes, Desi Doyen. <laughs> My fault. Here you come with your latest Green News Report. Today I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. Biden bans Russian fossil fuel imports. It's hard. Bloody hard. But it's possible. Europe rapidly overhauls its energy security strategy. Plus, global carbon emissions reach new all-time high. From bad to worse, all of those stories straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. Take that, Vlad! America doesn't need your klepto crude. America, America is perfectly happy to stay home and frack ourselves blind. (laughs) Ain't it the truth? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the beat that you have been on for 13 years now appears to be right at the very center of geopolitics and perhaps even World War III. Unfortunately, it it may be. President Biden's announcement this week to immediately ban imports of Russian fossil fuels in order to stop indirectly funding Russia's war on Ukraine could also mark an inflection point in history. Biden warned that the ban will likely increase prices on American consumers, and he dismissed the U.S. oil industry's opportunistic push to weaken environmental regulations as a false choice. Nice try, big oil. He said the only long-term term solution is for the U.S. to double down on mobilizing clean energy to accelerate the shift away from polluting fossil fuels as a matter of energy security and to end once and for all the power of dictators to use energy as an economic weapon anywhere. Yep. Transforming our economy to run on electric vehicles powered by clean energy with tax credits to help American families winterize their homes and use less energy. That will help. That'll mean tyrants like Putin won't be able to use fossil fuels as weapons against other nations. And it will make America a world leader manufacturing and exporting clean energy technologies of the future to countries all around the world. This is the goal we should be racing toward. He's right. A new Wall Street Journal poll finds nearly 80 percent of Americans of all political stripes support banning Russian fossil fuel imports, even if it raises gas prices further. Wow, someone ought to tell Fox News. But Biden also warned oil companies against using the war in Ukraine as cover to raise prices to maximize their profits. (laughs) Good luck. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren on MSNBC on Wednesday said she is introducing a windfall profits tax to block the industry from war profiteering. I'm co-sponsoring with Senator Whitehouse and others a bill on uh, windfall profits tax. Look, we get it. Supply and demand that prices go up. But profit margins should not go up. 
That's just oil companies gouging. How unlike them. After Biden announced the ban, the U.K. also moved to phase out Russian fossil fuel imports by the end of this year in order to give businesses time to replace Russian imports. And the European Union, which is heavily dependent on Russian oil and gas, unveiled new plans this week to overhaul its own energy security strategy. On top of a rapid break that would cut imports of Russian gas by two-thirds by the end of this year, the EU has also unveiled a long-term strategy to speed up their planned transition away from fossil fuels, ending all dependence on all fossil fuels, quote, well before 2030. And not a moment too soon. Their strategy includes fast-tracking permitting for wind, solar, and renewable hydrogen projects, revisiting decisions to phase out nuclear energy, and doubling the rate of conversions from gas-fired boilers to electric heat pumps to permanently cut natural gas demand. Ironically, it took just 13 days after Russia's invasion to push Europe to accelerate its clean energy transition. After you have been spending 13 years trying to get them to do so. The Washington Post reports that White House aides are in early discussions over a heat pumps for Europe program that would mobilize U.S. manufacturers under the Defense Production Act to send massive numbers of energy-efficient electric heat pumps to Europe and create a supply chain for America, too. National security experts say that if the world wasn't still so dependent on oil, Putin would have been much weaker and likely unable to wage war. Mm. Ironically, his war may end up accelerating the global shift away from fossil fuels. So... There's something good. And it all matters for climate, too. According to new data released by the International Energy Agency this week, the world's energy-related CO2 emissions reached an all-time high in 2021. An all-time high? Yes. We are going in the wrong direction. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Higher and higher, baby. It's a living thing. It's a terrible thing to lose. Terrible indeed. Thank it's you very much, Desi Doyan. Thanks yes. to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the TheBradBlog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.